Lord, I declare today that your word goes forward and changes our life. I thank you for giving me boldness to declare your word as you placed it in my heart. Every scripture, every story and every illustration, Holy Spirit, help direct my words that it would pierce the hearts of those that are watching and those that are hearing that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you're anything like me, you've been flipping through the news, you've been watching social media, and it seems that the constant message is negative. It seems that we're bombarded with what's not going right in our nation, what's, what's going south, and, and, and predictions that this may not get any better. And today I want to just pump your faith. I want to encourage you. I want to put courage in you to press on and to move forward and to continue with what God has for you in this season. I want to tell you this boldly, God's plan for your life, it hasn't changed. It's the same. Hebrews 13, 8 is one of my favorite scriptures. You could call it a, a life scripture per se. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that you gave your heart to years ago, days ago, or even minutes ago. He's going to be faithful until the end. And so today I want to share one particular story. I'm going to try and stay focused on this one story today and pull out some points and nuggets to help you thrive in this season. And I believe that's God's plan for, for your life and for my life. Actually, it's His plan for all of humanity that we would prosper and be in health, that we would be successful in every area of our life. And so today I've titled this message, Thriving in Every Season. Would you say this as a declaration over your life and over your family? Just say this after me. I will thrive in this season in every season. I plan on it and I challenge you to adopt that as you hear this message today. Today I'm reading out of 2 Kings chapter 4 and I want to read the story of the Shunammite woman. She comes in contact with the prophet Elisha and after her encounter with him, her life never is the same. In fact, she thrives at a greater level than when she before met him. So here we go, 2 Kings chapter 4 in verse 8. It says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and there was a prominent woman of the city who invited him in to eat. And afterwards, whenever he passed that way, he would stop for dinner. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy prophet. Let's make a little room for him on the roof. We could put a bed in there. We could put in a table. We could put a chair in there and a lamp. And he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I want to give you a couple of keys right here in how we thrive in every season. In the scripture, it says, number one, she made room for somebody else. And number two, she recognized the anointing. To thrive in every season, you've got to make room for others. For some of you, your neighbors and your friends and those closest to you, in a season of pandemic, in a season of what seems to be tragic, they seem to be holding on to everything. Every man for themselves becomes their mentality. And I want to urge you, don't take on that mentality. Don't live that life. We've been called to live with an open hand. If you've been a part of International Family Church for any length of time, you know that this is a house of generosity. 
You know that we believe that Jesus laid down his life for all of us. That was the most generous, selfless act that any man has ever made. And that's who we're called to be in the season. Selfless, making room for others. Don't be consumed in this season, making sure that you have all your needs met. One of the reasons and one of the the ways that we thrive in every season of life is when we live generously with an open hand, making room for others and making sure their needs are met. I can promise you this, that if you'll make something happen for others, God will make those things that you desire happen for yourselves. Say it this way, put others above yourself and guess what? You will thrive in the season. The second thing that we recognize right here is it says that she perceived and told her husband, I think this is a holy man. One translation says, I believe that this is a prophetic man. We need to make room for him. Let me ask you this in this pandemic time. Have you made room for the anointing? Have you made room for God? Have you made room for the Holy Spirit in your home? Because if you have, you should expect a blessing. I like to say it this way. When you make room for God in your life, He will do something for you that you could never do for yourself. You know, it's important that we make room for the anointing in our homes. I declare that, or or define the anointing as the burden-removing, yoke-destroying, power of God. Maybe there's a burden in your life. Make room for God. Make room for the anointing and those burdens will be released. Those yokes and those strongholds, those mindsets that I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks, those become nothing when God shows up. He he diminishes mindsets. He breaks yokes. He removes burdens. That's who he is. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe this season has been a struggle. Maybe it's been more difficult than you ever anticipated. Invite the Holy Spirit into your home. How do I do that, Pastor? How would I invite the Holy Spirit? How do I invite the anointing into my home? Number one, you put God's word first. Number two, you declare what God's word says over your life. Number three, you make room for the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest with you, as I talk to friends of mine from all over the nation and ask them about how their church is doing, ask them about how Sunday went, a lot of them recently have said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on. We haven't haven't been tuning in, you know. We we don't go on Sundays anymore, and so sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. And I say, well, I know, but aren't they, aren't they broadcasting it? Can't you go back and watch it? Can't you, can't you stream it later? And they say, you know what? It, it just hasn't been a priority. We used to come to church as a family. We used to sit down. We used to worship God, and it was something we did together. But if I was honest, it's kind of slipped. It hasn't been such a priority. You know, those are the same people that have been calling me and saying, Pastor, will you pray with us? I want to challenge you right now. When you make God a priority in your home, your house becomes a house of worship. When you invite God and the Holy Spirit into your home on a daily basis through reading His Word and and worshiping and praying in the Holy Spirit and declaring His Word over your life, I'll be honest with you, you don't need a building like this. Your house becomes a facility for the anointing. And when others come in your home, something changes in their life. This is what happened for this woman. She made room for the anointing because she was expecting God to do something. 
for me and my wife and our family right now. We are uh, seven months into a pregnancy. We're expecting a baby boy in, in late September. And you know, for us naturally to, to bring this baby home, we had to make room for him. In fact, we actually moved homes in the last week because our other home wasn't going to be big enough to have a family of five. We're making room for a physical blessing. We're, we're making room for a physical miracle that God's giving us. But at the same time, it's just an indication in our hearts that we need to continue to make room for the anointing in our lives. If you're going to thrive in a season, it's because God was first. It's because you made room in your schedules, because you made room in your daily routines and repetitions. It's because you could put God's word in your mouth and you declared it over your life. So how do you start this thriving? How do we thrive in a season that seems destitute? Number one, we put others first. Number two, we make room for the anointing. We pick the story back up in, in verse 11. It says, once Elisha was resting in the room, he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman that I want to speak to her. And when she came, he said to Gehazi, tell her that we appreciate her kindness to us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the general of the army? She replied, no, I'm perfectly content. What can we do for her? He asked Gehazi after she left. He suggested this. He said, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha said. And when she returned, he talked to her as she stood in the doorway. And this is what he said. He said, this time next year, you shall have a son. Oh, man of God, she explained. Don't you lie to me like that. She must have been from the South. Don't you lie to me, boy. Don't you, don't you tell me no lie. I grew up in Alabama and that's how they talk down there. Don't you lie to me. You can tell right there by her reaction that you knew that he had touched her heartstrings. The, the, the declaration that he had said to her was something that was deeply rooted in her. Maybe it was a dream that had been let go. Maybe she had had miscarriages in the past. Maybe this was something that she had put to rest and said, you know what, that was once a dream, but I am in a different season and that would be impossible. By reading her reaction, you could know that, man, this was something that the Lord was trying to get her attention and say, I recognize the seed you've sown. God was saying to her, I recognize you put others first. And I recognize that you have put the anointing first. You've made room for the anointing. You've made room for the miraculous. You've set yourself apart. And now I want you to know I recognize that. And that's the same thing the Lord wants to tell you today through me is he knows your good deeds. He's watching. He's paying attention. Hold fast. That room that you've created in your life for him to move, he's getting ready to move and bring back those dreams, those desires that may seem like they were long gone. See, God knows every desire of your heart. How can he know the desires of my heart, Josh? Well, let me tell you this. He's the one that put them there for you. He put those desires in you before you were even born because those desires are attached to your purpose and your plan for your life. God's got bigger thinking than you do. And guess what? Just because you think something's long gone or too late or you missed that season or that season passed you by for whatever reason, God wants you to know today he's still watching over his word to perform it. He knows the dreams that we've given up on. Let me ask you, 
right here in this moment, what dreams have you given up on even in the last four months of this pandemic? What dreams have you said, maybe this isn't going to happen? That season's passed me by. For some of you, that may be a dream of getting married because you say, I'm getting older. Maybe it's too late for me. Maybe I should just get adjusted to the single life. The Lord says to you, don't give up. Don't give up your hope. Don't give up your faith. Maybe for some of you, it's like this woman, a dream of having a baby. Maybe because of certain situations, maybe many miscarriages, you said, you know what, enough's enough. I can't go through that again. Let me tell you, don't lose faith. We serve a big God. For some of you, it may be owning your own home. For many of our international people, maybe it's a dream of becoming a U.S. citizen. And because of the process taking too long or costing too much, you've resolved that maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's not in the cards. Maybe it's not in the plan. I want to assure you, God's faithful to the end. Don't quit and don't give up. He's making room for your miracle. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for a family member. Maybe it's for financial resources to get out of debt. I want to just challenge you what God did for this woman, even in the Old Testament. He's doing today under the new covenant with our relationship with Jesus Christ. God is in the business of answering prayers. You forgot you even prayed. For some of you right now, I'm declaring this and you're thinking, I need to go back and look at my journals. I need to go back four, four or five years, maybe a decade and pull through my journals and look back at those things that I believe God for. I want to tell you, if you're faithful to invite God back into those situations, to make room in your plans, to make room in your dreams, the anointing is strong enough to bring those to pass even in the middle of a pandemic. Verse 17 says that it was true. The woman soon conceived and had a baby boy the following year, just as Elisha had predicted. And one day her child was older and he went out to visit his father who was working with the harvesters in the field. He complained about having a headache and soon he was moaning in pain. His father said to one of the servants, carry the boy home to his mother. So he took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up to the bed of the prophet and she shut the door. And then she sent a message to her husband. And she said, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the prophet and I'll come right back. He said, why today? I mean, this isn't a religious holiday. She said, it's important. I must go. So she saddled the donkey and she said to the servant, hurry up. And don't slow down for my comfort unless I tell you to. As she approached Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance and said to his servant Gehazi, Look, it's that woman from Shunem. She's coming. Verse 26, he commanded him to run and meet her. Ask her what her trouble is. Ask her if her husband's all right. Ask her if her child is well. She told Gehazi, everything is fine. Say that out loud with me. Just say it with boldness in your heart. Everything is fine. You know, those words right there determined what was getting ready to happen next in her story. She could have stopped right here. She could have said, you know what? Forget it. I knew this was going to happen. I should have never expected this. I should, have, I should have known better. I should have trusted my heart. I should have leaned back and known that tragedy would hit again. But she didn't do that. She didn't blame God. It says the first words out of her mouth in a response to the greatest tragedy in her life is everything is fine. 
You know, your words determine your future. If you know me very well at all, this is probably the one message that I will camp out on for the rest of my life because I'm a believer of words carrying you to where God wants you to be. When you align your word with God's word and you release it with your mouth, the Bible says that faith is activated. That's what brings miracles to pass. See, many people after this pandemic will never go back to a normal life because of the words that they're speaking right now. Many people will actually go backwards and stay in bondage, unemployed, depressed, sick, without hope. Not because there's no jobs, not because there's no healing, not because there's none of those things, but because their words have ensnared them. Proverbs says we are ensnared or trapped or locked down by the words of our mouth. I want to encourage you right now today, what are the words that have been coming out of your mouth? Because you're living your words. The world that you have around you has been created or torn down with your words. Proverbs 141 verse 3. And I'll be honest with you, this is something I'm not that great at. Even as a pastor, I'm still watching my words. It's quick for me. I'm quick to slip up and say things that I don't need to say and react instead of responding. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Psalms 141 verse 3 has been my scripture for me personally that I'm holding on to during this time where words can be flying any which way out of the NIV, it says, set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. The Amplified says it this way, so that they keep me from speaking thoughtlessly. Put a guard over your mouth. Put a gate over your mouth. Put a door over your lips so you don't speak thoughtlessly. See, a lot of people speak what they think. They're speaking what's going on in their mind. This is horrible. This is never going to end. These politicians, this financial crisis, this sickness, this disease, this, this, this. And right there in the moment, they're declaring what their future is going to be like. A few years back, almost a decade ago, over a decade ago now, I was going through one of the most difficult times in my life. And I did what I believe everybody should do. I went to a mentor. I went to a coach. I went to someone who's been through more than I had. And I was sharing this with my friend, Pastor Gary Martin from the Bridge Church in Temecula, California. I was saying, Pastor Gary, it's too hard. I don't know if I could ever make it through it. I don't know if ever I could forget about the hurt and the pain. And I began to share this stuff with him, pouring out my heart thoughtlessly, just saying all kinds of stuff. And he was gracious enough to listen to me and walk me through that season. But he, he gave me a statement that I'll never forget. He said that he went through a season like that. And his mentor told him this. He said, it's nothing unless you say it's something, and it's nothing. I hope you catch that. It's nothing unless you say it's something. You know what? Death, despair, calamity, turmoil, financial pressure, whatever those things are, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to God unless you say there's something. And let me remind you what the word says. They're nothing. Let me give it to you one more time. I pray you write this down and you put this on a bulletin board, put it on a, a post-it note, put it on a three-by-five card and remind yourself when you're getting ready to speak negativity about your situation that you remind yourself, it's nothing unless I say it's something. And I say, it's nothing. See, one of the major differences in those who thrive in every season 
and one of those who've bounced from every season or dragged to every season is the words. It's how they respond to adversity. See, there's two ways that we interact with diversity. We either react to it or we respond to it. We react. We're working in the flesh. We're, we're working out of our mind. We're working on natural terms. Adversity demands a reaction. But as believers, we're not called to react. We're called to respond, which means I have a plan of faith. A response comes from the heart, and it's based on the word. See, a reaction based on thought, circumstances, and experience. Flesh response. Response comes from the heart based on the word. A good friend of mine went through a terrible divorce many, many years ago. And it was a friend of his that had cheated on his wife against my buddy. And the gentleman told my friend, he said, hey, I want you to know that I, 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 I've been having an affair with your wife. I don't know how you would react or respond, but I think in that moment that would devastate everything and it would put anybody in their right mind on tilt. And this person didn't react. They responded. The first words out of their mouth after hearing this horrible news was, I forgive you. You know, today that man is remarried. He's very successful. He's got a, a beautiful family. They're thriving in the season. People say, well, I know what happened to you. That was horrible. How did that happen? How did you get from there to here? It was the power of his words. It was not a reaction, but a greater response. Let's continue our story in verse 27. It says, but when she came to Elisha at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him. She caught a hold of his feet. And Gehazi, the servant, began to push her away. The prophet said, let her alone. Something's deeply troubling her. And the Lord hasn't told me what it is. Then she said, it was you who said I'd have a son, and I begged you not to lie to me. Then he said to Gehazi, quick, take my staff. Don't talk to anybody along the way. Hurry up, go and lay the staff upon the child's face. But the boy's mother said, I swear to God that I won't go home without you. So Elisha returned with her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff upon the child's face. But nothing happened. There was no sign of life. Let me just stop for one second. Just because you can't see something with your natural eyes doesn't mean God's not working. Just because what you see in front of you doesn't mean the anointing's not on the way. Gehazi was expecting something in that moment, but the anointing was with Elisha. It was on its way. Let me tell you, just because your life seems dead or a situation seems dead, make room for the anointing, invite him back, and watch what God does. It says there was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child's still dead. Listen, don't listen to everybody around you. Everybody else will tell you what they can see and you'll be declaring life and blessing. And they'll say, oh, give up on that. That's dead. That's over. Stay focused on what God told you. Verse 32, it says, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead. Laying there upon the prophet's bed, he went in and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid upon the child's body, placing his mouth upon the child's mouth and his eyes on the child's eyes and his hand upon the child's hand. And the child's body began to grow, grow warm again. Then the prophet went down and walked back and forth in the house a few times, 
only to return upstairs. And he stretched himself upon the child again. And this time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. The prophet summoned Gehazi. He said, call her. And when she came in, he said, here's your son. She fell to the floor at his feet and then picked up her son and went out. I want to declare something over your life today. And that is the very thing that you think is dead and over. God is wanting to resurrect in this season of your life. How, how, wait, 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 wait. how can he resurrect something in, in this season? This is the worst season. Listen, God doesn't work on seasons. God's omniscient. He's omnipresent. It means he can look down any channel of time that he wants. He can go back in time. He can go ahead in time. He knows exactly where you are today. Don't give up. Let me say it to you this way. Your setback. Oh, I love this statement. My friend Kevin Cooley gave me this years ago when I was going through a trivial time. He said, Josh, your setback is just a setup for a comeback. Man, that's the word of the Lord for somebody today. Your setback, the thing that you think has set you back, it's God setting you up for your greatest comeback. See, we have to learn that and consider that all opposition around us is just a setup for our next step. A few weeks back, our, our pastor was meeting with us here as a staff. And man, I, I love that our pastors, are st they're so stable. They're so consistent. If you know them, those are two words that everybody would define them as stability and consistency. And when everybody's freaking out and things are going crazy, he comes in and he said this. He said, the Lord told me this. He said, opposition is just confirmation. Opposition is just confirmation. If things are going crazy in your life and it seems like things are dying and uprooted and going sideways, guess what? You should know that that's confirmation. You're on the right track. You have to, in the season to, to thrive, you've got to change your understanding. You've got to think differently. You've got to get an understanding that you've been set up to win. You've got to understand that you've been set up to thrive. Your setback is just a setup for you to overcome in the next season. You were born to thrive. You were created to succeed. Your DNA was designed for you to dominate. You've been favored for this exact moment. Oh man, I'm preaching myself happy today because here's the thing, when you start talking this way, it changes you, it makes you excited, it, it gives you a confidence, not in yourself, but in God, your Father. See, I, I, most people stop right here at this story with the Shunammite. Most preachers that I've heard stop right here, but I want to tell you there's more to the story. Not only did she make room for others, not only did she make room for the anointing, not only did she receive a miracle, and not only did she receive a miracle resurrected, there's more to the story. This isn't the end. And before I tell you that, let me just say this to you. Whatever scene you're in, in your story right now, it's just a scene. Because most people are stopping and saying, this is the end of my story. And I want to tell you, it's not the end of your story. It's just a single frame scene. God's not done writing your story. See, after this story in 2 Kings 5, 6, and 7, you find that there's a great famine in the land. A great famine. The Bible says that they were boiling babies because they were so hungry. It says they were selling bird poop, bird dung. For $3 a pound, they were selling uh, uh, um, donkey's heads for $50 a head. 
That sounds like crazy times to me. It sounds like it's much worse than, than we're going through. But listen to this, 2 Kings chapter 8. Elisha had told the woman whose son he brought back to life, take your family and move to some other country for the Lord has called down a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. See, God will give you direction before calamity hits if you make room to hear his voice. Verse 2 out of chapter 8 says, So the woman took her family, and she lived in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And after the famine ended, she returned to the land of Israel. And then she went to see the king about getting her house back and her land back. And just as she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, Elisha's servant. And he was saying to Gehazi, tell me some stories of the great things that Elisha has done. And Gehazi began to tell him the story about the little boy being brought back to life. And at that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in. Oh, sir, he complained, uh, uh, commented. Gehazi began to exclaim, here she is. Here's that woman now. That's her son, the one that Elisha brought back to life. He called her over and said, is this true? And she told him that it was true. Here's another great illustration as we close today. Never stop telling your story. Never stop sharing what God's done in your life. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The thing that takes us out of one horrible season is our confession into the next great season. Your story may be a catalyst for somebody else's faith. It goes on to say that he directed, the king directed one of his officials to see to it that everything she had owned was restored to her. Listen to this. Plus the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. I don't know if you caught that. Returned to her, her land, her home, in the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. Wait a second, I thought she was in a famine. I thought people were boiling babies and eating bird poop and boiling, you know, donkey heads. I, that was the chapter before. What do you mean her land is producing? The message says, make sure she gets everything back that's hers, plus all the profits from the farm from the time she left until now. Man, that's the God that we serve, the more than enough, the exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask, think, hope, dream, or imagine. He's an Ephesians 3.20 kind of God, and I pray that you understand that's your God, that's your Father. If you're making room for miracles and the anointing, this is the expectation that we don't slide out of this thinking that we just made it out and we just made it by. No, I'm declaring over your life that whatever has been stolen and broken is restored with interest. You say, Pastor, you're all fired up today. You're all fired up. Listen, even during a famine, her land was producing while others were starving. That's the favor of God on her life. When others were boiling their babies, her grocery was filling up. Her, her land was producing. They were selling it at the farmer's market for double. Listen, when, when you commit to not get stuck, and you commit to make room for others, and you make room to, to produce, uh, allow the anointing into your home, and you continue to speak faith, this is the blessing that Deuteronomy talked about. It's blessed coming in. It's blessed going out. It's more than you need to give away to others. You say, ah, Pastor Josh, that sounds great. How, how in the world? You know, part of this is just 
setting your faith in motion. At the beginning of this year, none of us knew this would happen. We all set our big goals. We set our big dreams. We, we wrote down our stuff. We're going to work out. We're going to pay off debt. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to spend more time with our families. Let me ask you this. Where are you in your goals that you set at the beginning of the year? Because those goals are indicators of what God wants to do in your life. Don't give up on those. We did the same thing. Me and my family, we set goals to take time off to rest and go have vacation. We made plans to, to move our house and purchase a new home. We, we made plans to, to do all these things. But I want to say this to you. We set some goals to give. Yeah, at the very beginning, we set giving goals. We set a goal of how much we wanted to give to others in this season. We were determined also to make room for the anointing in our lives. I'll be honest with you, we're thriving right now as the Roberts tribe for, for these very reasons that I'm sharing with you. We made plans and commitments to make greater room this year for the anointing. More time of prayer. More time of commitment to listening and just getting quiet. More time of investing the word in us. More time confessing the word. We were diligent in aligning our words. We shifted and are continuing to shift our words towards what we find in God's plan for our life. Our perspective is that opposition is just confirmation of what we know inside. And I'll be honest with you, we're seeing the fruit in the faithfulness of God in our life, in this crazy season, just like the Shunammite woman. God's no respecter of persons. What he's done for her, what he's doing for us, he wants to do for you. I pray that this blessed you today. I, I pray that you would go back and adjust maybe how you're doing life. Find out how you can be a blessing to others. Make room for the Holy Spirit in your life. Line your words up with God's word and watch and pour out a blessing. The Bible says that you wouldn't have room enough to receive. And maybe you're watching today and you say, man, I want that. My life is not going the direction that I anticipated. I feel stuck. I feel trapped. I need a way out. I need help. I want to give you an invitation, and that is to, to meet my friend Jesus. He's what we call the miracle worker. He's the one that we were talking about in the story. The Bible says that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. My Bible says that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. That he laid down his life. He took a severe beating and hung on a cross, shed his blood so that you and I could live healthy, prosperous, overcoming lives. And the way that you enter that relationship with him is simple. Just meeting him. It's just introducing yourself to him and saying, hey, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to invite you into my life. I was talking earlier about inviting the anointing. When you invite Jesus, he brings the anointing. He brings that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. It's so simple. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you did die on the cross for me, so I wouldn't have to live this way. I believe that the Holy Spirit raised you from the dead so I could be reconnected with my Creator and my purpose for my life. You know, you can pray that prayer right now. You can pray that prayer tomorrow. I, I challenge you this week, make a decision. If you've never said that prayer, if you've never admitted that, that you're stuck and invited him into your life, this is your week. This is your week for a miracle. I want to thank you so much for being a part of this today. I'm going to be with you again next week. Thank you so much. Please tune in. I got another great message for you. I'll see everybody next week. Have a great day.